This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Let's start out by letting George do it. Let George Do It was a radio drama series produced by Owen and Pauline Vincent. It aired from 1946 to 1954 and starred Bob Bailey as detective for hire, George Valentine. Clients came to Valentine's office after reading a newspaper carrying his classified ad. The few earliest episodes were more sitcom than private eye shows, with a studio audience providing scattered laughter at the not-so-funny scripts. Soon the audience was banished, and George went from stumbling comedic hero to tough guy private eye and the music from wah, wah, wah to suspenseful. Sponsored by Standard Oil, the program was broadcast on the West Coast Mutual Broadcasting System from October 18th of 46 to September of 1954. And tonight's show, it dates back to 1948. California, on behalf of standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If you need the kind of help you couldn't get from a cautious man, then you've got a job for me. George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine... You may have forgotten the one time we met, but you were the best man at my wedding. Yes, I'm Joe Burke's wife. You won't believe what's happened to him. Easygoing, happy-go-lucky Joe. He's a pitiful mental case, and they've got him in a sanitarium. You were so close to Joe in the army, I thought maybe if he... I saw you again, it might do more than the doctors have been able to do. I thought of this when I saw your ad in the paper, like a ray of hope. Won't you try to help me? It's signed anxiously, Laura Burke. Joe, a mental case? Oh, no, not the Sergeant Burke I knew. Well, George's wife would hardly make up anything like this. But Brooksy at Palermo, when everybody else was either cussing or praying, that hard-headed Irishman just sat around playing a harmonica. Danny boy. It's funny I never heard you talk about him. Well, you know how those things are, Angel. You swear on your G.I. dog tag that you're going to be sure to keep in touch with each other, but... As Tempest Fugit's old anxiety becomes just the name of a song. But you were his best man. This Laura came to the camp. We hopped the jeep over to the chaplain, and it took 15 minutes for the tender vows. A minute for me to kiss the bride, and they were off. All Joe had was a 48-hour pass. Golly, she sounds so desperate in this letter. Yeah. What's that address, Brooksy? We'd better get right over there. <laughs> Maybe it's 
it's only one chance in a thousand. But I had to turn to you, Mr. Valentine. The name is George, remember? He's in that place, getting worse every day. How he doesn't even recognize me. Laura, we do want to help you. But, honey, you're making it so much harder. Here, sit down. I'm sorry. I know this is tough on you, Laura, but try to tell us the whole thing from the beginning. How did this happen to Joe? When? About a month ago, they brought him home from Egypt. Egypt? What was he doing there? Well, after he got out of the army, he got a job with an export company, Kessling Limited. The money was so good he couldn't refuse it. He planned to keep it for two years so so he could put some money aside. Oh, it must have been terrible being separated again. Did Joe uh, begin to lose his grip while he was abroad? Oh, he sent letters regularly, wonderful, cheerful letters about the future. And a couple of months ago, he stopped writing. Yes, Laura? And then, then one day he walked in... Dr. Tarouk. Wait a minute. Who's Dr. Tarouk? Some kind of psychiatrist the company sent back with Joe to take care of him. Mr. Kessling, he's the president of the company. He's been very kind. What did they say happened? Some kind of an explosion outside the city. Joe happened to be around, and when he came to in the hospital, he... 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 Now, take it easy, Laura. Hey, you want to knock off and have a cup of coffee? No, go on. I'm all right. I'll never forget it. Dr. Tarouk left us alone for a minute. Joe just stood there. Right where you are. Looking at me. Looking through me. He tried to talk, but it seemed to hurt too much, so he just kept staring and staring. Oh, George. Yeah. He took a box of face powder from his pocket and handed it to me. Powder? I guess he meant it as a gift. So pathetic. A box of cheap powder. It was horrible to watch. Okay, Laura. I think we've heard enough to begin with. Uh, where have they got Joe? The Hillcrest Sanitarium. His company's paying all the expenses, and Dr. Tarouk says in time he hopes Joe will be all right. Yeah. But he's getting worse, you see. I, I thought if you saw him and talked to him, maybe... Maybe by some miracle he'd begin to remember things. He thought so much of I him. I know. All right, Laura. You want to come along with us? No, I... I always seem to upset him. Okay. Yeah, Claire and I'll drop in on Joe. And he's hoping it'll do some good. sanitarium should have peace and quiet, but they should build it where people can find it. Yes, it is out of the way. Gosh, and every time I look down in that valley, I get dizzy. Kind of unusual, isn't it, Brooksy? What? A company going to quite so much trouble for one of their people. Sanitarium special psychiatrist who seems to stay on and on. Well, darling, maybe the milk of human kindness doesn't curdle as easily as most people think. Ah, uh, maybe not. Brooksy, I've been in some tough spots. But I think seeing Joe like this is going to be just about the toughest. In dealing with the mind, Mr. Valentine, one is never sure what will be good or bad for the patient. Yeah, I think I know what you mean, Dr. Turok. Perhaps this visit from a dear friend out of the past may do Mr. Burke a world of good. However, on the other hand... Will we be able to see him soon? In a few moments. But perhaps it would be wiser for a young lady like you, Miss Brooks, not to see him at all. Huh? There are just a few things I want to know, Doctor, before... Uh, Dr. Tarouk... Uh... Oh, Rodney, will you come here? Yes. This imposing but very competent gentleman is the male nurse I've hired to be with Mr. Burke, when it is impossible for him to be present. Oh, yeah. He's acting quiet now, Doctor. Good. Very good. We can go in uh, this way, Mr. Valentine, Miss Brooks. 
Paris. Hey, Joe. Danny boy. Don't you have anything to say for yourself? What did you do? Lose your harmonica? <laughs> oh, George. Rodney, wipe Mr. Burke's forehead. Yes, doctor. You can see, Mr. Valentine, what an effort it costs your friend to try to speak. I'm not blind, doctor. Permit me to explain. The blow he must have received in that accident has injured the tiny wires that crisscross in the brain. His thoughts cannot get through a form of motor or fish. Oh, that's good to know, but it doesn't help Joe. Doctor, does he know what we're talking about? I am quite sure he does not. You see, the wires of the brain that are blocked make it more difficult for him to get his thoughts through. The theory is... Okay, doctor, but look... Uh, yes, Mr. Valentine. I'm quite sure you're a very competent psychiatrist, but I... I know you won't mind if I have Dr. Hunter, a friend of mine, come in and have a look at Joe. Just a consultation. Very well, if you feel that way. And it might help to look a little more into that accident. Anything to help your friend, Mr. Valentine. Uh, Rodney. Yes, doctor? The other case downstairs I was so interested in, I think the crisis may come even before I expected. Uh, would you mind being there to do what is necessary... Then let me know exactly what happens. I'll take care of everything, Good. Dr. George. Try talking to him again, George. Hey, look, you big oaf. Stop holding on to me. You know who I am. Hey, we got a lot of old times to talk about. You know, me, Valentine. <laughs> oh, I suppose it's no use. Hey, how is it, Dr. Tarouk, that Joe was able to walk when he came home to his wife, and now he's flat on his back and can't use his hands or his legs? I thought he was being cured. It is my hope to arrest the progress of the paralysis. Yeah? To shield him from emotional disturbances. Rid his mind of fear. Fear? What fear? Joe was never afraid of anything in his life. This is a different kind of fear. The fear of becoming a mental basket case with no future and no hope. Oh, cut it out, Doctor. Mr. Valentine, I was just stating the facts. to hold from this day forward till death us to part. What are you trying to say, Doc? I'm just the best man with a photographic memory. Oh, I know how you feel about Joe this and Laura. This death, Brooksy. Those two should be together. Something's got to be done about it. Look, do yourself a favor, George, and listen to me. This is something you don't know anything about. You're no psychiatrist. No, no, you listen to me, Angel. I know Joe looks as though his head was full of nuts and bolts, but he recognized me. What do you mean? We used to have a way of winking at each other, just to say, keep your skin on, brother. This man's war will be over someday. Well? Well, that's what he was giving me back there. I know it. Are you sure you aren't imagining something you want to believe? I don't care for that oily Dr. Brooksy, and I care less for that overgrown meatball Rodney hovering over Joe every minute of the day. I just have a feeling he's not getting the right chance. You can't let it be a question of feelings, darling. Believe me. George! Ah. Golly, me too. Oh, a fine place to get a blowout. A few more yards and we would have gone pitching into that valley. Hey, wait a minute, Brooksy. Don't open that door. Get down. George, what's the matter with you? Maybe that wasn't a blowout. What? Just playing safe. There doesn't seem to be anyone around now. You stay where you are, Angel. I'll take a look-see. Did you find anything? Yeah. A neat bullet hole in that tire. What? Somebody shot at us from those rocks up there. But who could it be? It'd have to be somebody who knew we'd be coming back this way. Brilliant deduction, Brooksy. But we'll go into that later. 
Right now, we fix a flat and then get back to town. Hello? Yes, he's here. Just a moment. It's Walker, financial editor of the Bulletin, returning your call. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. You hold it a second, Walker, huh? Look, Claire, take this down as I give it to you. Okay. Go on, shoot. Uh-huh, yeah. Wrestling, export, and import, fined $50,000 six weeks ago, smuggling, diamonds... What? ...and a shipment of face powder. Since then, out of business, gave up corporate charter. Yeah, thank you, Walker. That was very helpful. Goodbye. George, what have we gotten into? A very touching little situation, Brooksy. The great big corporate heart of Kessling Limited bleeding for one of its employees was hurt. Yeah. In fact, it keeps on bleeding now, long after it ceased to exist, because it was caught smuggling diamonds, no less. How do you think Joe fits into all this? I don't know yet. But right now, we're picking up Dr. Hunter and going back to Hillcrest Sanitarium. Let him take a look at Joe. What'd you find out, Dr. Hunter? I took a good look at your friend, George, and had a long talk with Dr. Taruk. Well, Frank? In Taruk's place, I, uh, I'd i have to diagnose the case exactly as he has. Oh. Motor aphasia. Now, progressive paralysis. The whole thing apparently started from some severe shock. I see. Well, now I don't know what to do. His wife told me if we found anything wrong to get him out of here. He's getting all the proper care, as far as I can see. Frankly, I wouldn't suggest that he be moved in his present condition. Okay. Okay, Frank, you know what you know, and I know what I know. Now, Maybe George... I'm wrong about Taruk as a doctor, I mean. But there are too many other things wrong about this setup, including that bullet in my tire. Yes, and I still say Joe Burke was winking at me. <laughs> return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about the great American pastime. Batter up, it's baseball season again. And here's a seasonal gift for you. It's a 48-page handbook of baseball. The title is Batter Up. To get your free copy, just ask for Batter Up at any standard station or independent Chevron gas station. This guide to baseball fundamentals was written by Bert Dunn, former pro. It has 45 illustrations and photos. Boys will be keen about it. Batter Up tells how to play each position, pitching, catching, fielding, and how to bat. Girls will go for the chapter on softball. Lefty O'Doul of the San Francisco Seals and Joe Cronin of the Boston Red Sox give their views in this grand book. Another article was written by Clarence Rowland, president of the Pacific Coast League. Here's baseball written by a recognized authority. Get your free copy tomorrow. Batter Up is available at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, you go through the war with a fellow who becomes your buddy. You lose sight of him, and suddenly his wife shows up saying he's in a sanitarium, a mental case. You try to see what it's all about, a bullet comes at you from nowhere. More than that, you're told your buddy is getting the best possible care. You're not convinced, so you decide to dig deeper. 
In George's case, that means going with Claire to the Customs Service to have a chat with one of the agents. Now, there really isn't much to it, Mr. Valentine, just what you see in this folder. Uh-huh. What does it say, George? Nothing we didn't know before, Brooksy. Kessling Limited tried to smuggle in diamonds, caught with their carrots down and so forth. Well, I don't know what you expected to find, but compared to some of the stunts we run up against, this wasn't anything too brilliant. Apparently not. The company's out of business now. Now, we've had people try to get diamonds through in glass eyes and wads of chewing gum almost every way. Hiding them in boxes of face powder. Well, <laughs> maybe they thought it was so obvious they'd get buying. Yeah, maybe. Face powder, Brooksy. Why didn't it hit us before? Of course. Joe gave Laura a box of face powder. What's that? Yeah, it's not important, at least not yet. Uh, say, tell me something, Craven. Yes? What happens to the rest of the cargo when you catch people smuggling? We have regular custom sales like an auction. In fact, there's one tomorrow. Oh, that's very interesting. It'll be held in one of those loft buildings down on Fayette Street. There's a public notice in the papers today. Good enough. Come on, Brooksy. Uh, thanks a lot for your trouble. Oh, don't mention it. George, I think when Joe gave Laura that box of powder, he was trying to tell her about the smuggling his company was doing. Could be, Brooks. It could be. But maybe we'll know more about that tomorrow. Young lady, you and I are going to an auction. All right, right over here, everybody. Lot 114, 3,000 boxes of face powder, quality second grade, trade name, Cleopatra's Secret, sorted shades. Now, well, what do I hear for? The whole lot isn't worth 100 bucks, Brooksy, but here I go and we'll see what happens. $300, Mr. Auctioneer. How uh, much did you say? 300 If you get stuck with all that powder, I don't know how we're going to get it out of here. Well, I don't suppose there'll be any more bids, so, uh... Four hundred. George. Yeah, no, Angel. I'm going to hit it again just to make sure. Five hundred. Six hundred. Six hundred. The, uh, gentleman who said five hundred, you, uh, got another bid, sir? Not me. Count me out. Okay, if the gentleman who bid six hundred just right over No one ever did find out Cleopatra's secret, Brooksy. What do you say we go downstairs and see if we can't make history? <laughs> George, it's getting dark. Let's make believe it's dinner, and I'll go down to that lunch wagon and get us a couple of containers of coffee. Okay, but... Hey, hold it, Brooksy. Huh? That little black truck over there. They're loading something into it. Cleopatra's secret. Hey, you see any name on the truck? I can't. Oh, uh, no, there isn't any name. Oh, I should have known better than to ask. They would have thought of that. Okay, take it away. Brooksy, we're off again. <laughs> We'll keep a good half a block behind them, just like this. Darling, I never want to see another warehouse as long as I live. They could at least put some lights in the windows. Yeah, and some fiorgany curtains. The only light I'm interested in right now, Angel, is that little red one up ahead. It's turning the corner. Hey, a dead-end street, no truck. But we were right behind them. Truck can't just disappear into thin air. There's only one warehouse on this whole... Yeah, and it's all boarded up. That big overhead door could have been up, just waiting for that truck to get in and then close down. I can't think of any other explanation except magic. Yeah, well, we're not going to go ringing any doorbells and tip our mitt. <laughs> Look out! We're getting out of here. That shot came from that warehouse. This is getting monotonous, being used for clay pigeons twice in two days. Hey, Brooksy. Yes? Take a good look at that street sign under the lamp and yes. remember it.
listen to this, Brooksy. All the dope on that warehouse on Farrow Street. It's owned by the Filan Trading Company. So? And the offices and stockholders of Filan are the same as those of the late Kessling Limited. Including the very kindly Mr. Kessling Laura told us about. George, I can't make head or tails out of this. Why would they go and buy up all that old worthless face powder? I don't have the answer, Brooksy, but maybe Laura has. That's why we're going over and see her right now. Laura! What happened to you? I don't know, really. Claire, something hit me. Well, didn't you see who it was? No, I, I was sitting here waiting for a call from you. And then I, I don't remember anything except waking up on the floor. George, this place is in a sham. Well, they didn't take anything. What's that? No, I, I looked all around. My pocketbook with almost $100 in it. All my jewelry. All that's still there on the dresser. Uh-huh. Oh, what about Joe? Tell me what that doctor friend of yours said. Did he think there was any hope? Of course there's hope. You've got to believe that. There's every hope, Laura. But tell me something. Where did you put that box of face powder Joe gave you? How? Yes, yes, you remember. You told us about it. Oh, yeah. I, I just opened it and then I put it in that drawer over there. Yeah, I'm sure of it. It isn't here now. Laura, listen. That firm Joe worked for was smuggling ring. Diamonds. What are you saying? Joe'd never be mixed up in anything like that. I didn't say he was. But as far as we know, there could have been a fortune in gems in that box of powder he gave you. And the one moment Dr. Tarook left you two alone. What does all this have to do with Joe? That's all I care about. George, you don't think the sanitarium, the auction sale, the warehouse, all that was a part of a sit for something that was here all the time? Oh, Claire, I'm tired of guessing. I feel like a dime being pushed around on a shuffleboard. What do you mean? Somebody is in an awful hurry about getting something done, trying to meet a deadline. What about Joe? That's what makes me think. Taruk wasn't too worried about me bringing in another doctor to look at Joe. How does visit prove that? The important thing was to keep me from snooping around, interfering with their schedule. That was the reason for the double talk with Rodney and the pot shot at us. What schedule, George? What are you talking about? Something's coming off and coming off soon. Look, stay here with Laura, Angel. I've developed a sudden interest in boats. Incoming and outgoing. You again, Valentine. Yeah, Craven, the Customs Service and I are getting to be just like that. I'll be right with you as soon as I clear this manifesto. All right, Daugherty, you can put that shipment through. Hey, look, fella, this is really important, and time is what we don't have the most of. Huh? Oh, if you've still got that wrestling deal on no, your mind, No, no, I... no. Same people, but a different name. As far as you know, is there anything coming through for the company known as uh, Filing Trading? No, I don't know, but I can soon find out. Here, just a minute. Well... No, I don't see anything. Are yet. you sure? Everything points. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah? Uh, here it is. I missed it because the boat's already in. Uh-huh. Sank it out there in the harbor. Has the cargo been cleared yet? No, that's scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, what's Farland bringing in? Uh, three crates of powdered cocoa beans from the West Indies. Shipping it on the Pandora, Peruvian registry. Captain Martin... No, no, we can skip that, Craven. How soon can we get out to the Pandora? Why, tomorrow we'll I be told on the... Kessling and Farland are one and the same trading company. Hey, I think I see what you mean, Valentine. We'll take a speedboat, get right out there to the Pandora. Ahoy, there! Customs service, Captain, we're coming aboard. Come on, Valentine. <coughs> yeah, what can I do if we 
you. I thought you weren't ready for us until tomorrow. Yeah, something special turned up, Skipper. Yeah, specifically powdered cocoa beans from Farland Company. Mm, it's good this trip. Those are some of their crates right here on deck. Okay. Let's try this one for a start. Say, what are you fellas looking for anyway? Carrots, Captain. Huh? Are you kidding? Diamonds, Captain. Oh! Now, you feel around that side, Valentine. I'll take this. Okay. Farland, eh? I gotta do them all. That's no one on me. All right, Craven. Here we are. Huh? Yeah, it's a beauty, too. Take a look at it. Hey! Oh, nice size. I wonder how many more we're going to find. Oh, just enough, but not too many. What's that supposed to mean? Uh, look, Craven. Can I take a sample of this cocoa? Just enough for a cup, let's say? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Help yourself. I doubt if they'll miss it when we auction the stuff off. Uh, thanks again for the tip, Valentine. Oh, you're very welcome. Don't be surprised if I get in touch with you again. Well, Mr. Ross, what's the verdict? What does the chemical analysis show? <laughs> Powdered cocoa, huh? Oh, never mind the suspense. What did you find? Oh, there is cocoa here, all right, but mixed with something that sells for roughly $7,000 a pound. Dope. $7,000 a pound. No wonder Kessling and the boys could afford to use diamonds for window dressing. Uh, what's that? Oh, it'd take too long to explain. Thanks. And remind me to submit your name for the Nobel Prize. What do you want, Valentine? Out of my way, Rodney. You can't go in there. Nobody see work. Dr. Taruk's orders. You're a sucker for Taruk's orders, aren't you? Uh-huh. You shouldn't have missed me when you took a shot of my car on the road yesterday. Huh? I was just waiting for that big yap to open like that so I could... Good night, Rodney, what is all... Greetings, Dr. Taruk. What have you done, Mr. Valentine? The scene should speak for itself. And if you don't want to join, Rodney, you'll just sit right down on that bench. Maybe you should be a patient here, Mr. Valentine. Oh, yeah, sure. I got a persecution complex. I can't rest. I can't sleep. I see things. Have bad dreams. I'm afraid there's no hope for me until I hear you and your friends try to explain more than a million bucks worth of dope. I... I... I have nothing to say. When the police and the customs men get here, Dr. Taruk, you'll have plenty to say. Oh, can you beat that, Valentine? Using diamonds for a smokescreen. Yep, Craven, that was the racket. They plant the diamonds, not too expensive ones, of course, in case the shipment is open. If they're found, nobody looks any further. And they pay the fine. And they buy up the supposedly worthless stuff at the auction for peanuts and make themselves a million. Uh, tell me, uh, how did that friend of yours in the sanitarium fit into all this, Valentine? Well, as I get it, Joe found out what Kessling was doing and was going to talk. All that stuff about an accident in Egypt was a bunk. Now, they gave him a brutal going over. When he came out of it, he had what a psychiatrist so pompously called functional neuroses induced by severe blows on the head. Gosh, they probably meant to kill him. Sure, but why take chances? There might be investigations. Now, they figured it was better this way. Taruk could see to it that Joe didn't snap out of it until this shipment came through, and they'd all take it on the land. That was their deadline. <laughs> How do you like your new barracks, soldier? <laughs> oh, don't try too, too hard to talk, Joe. We always used to understand each other without too many words. I don't know how we'll ever be able to thank you and Claire. 
Dr. Hunter says Joe's going to be all right. Uh, George, what about that wedding present? You know, the one the best man forgot to give? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, Joe. You and Laura ran out on me so fast that day in camp, I didn't get a chance to give you the usual set of toilets or a percolator or something. Well, uh, now he can at least be the messenger of some good news that may make up for that. The customs man told us. It says right in the book, anyone instrumental in thwarting a smuggling attempt is entitled to 25% of what the Treasury gets on dutiable goods. Yeah. And those diamonds don't come cheap, you know. That's right, Joe. You're really the guy who was uh, instrumental. <laughs> At ease, soldier. Hey, you know, Brooksy, this time I'm sure he winked. And now, a message of importance to motorists. It's a safe bet that along with these first days of spring, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love. But it's also a safe bet that every motorist's fancy has already turned to thoughts of the open road. If you're making weekend trips at this season with frequent starts and stops for the family car, here's something worth knowing. When you've got Chevron Supreme gasoline in your tank, you get instant action every time you press the starter. It's a premium gasoline that's tailored to the season of the year and to each different altitude zone in the West. Besides saving you a lot of grinding, starting wear, Chevron Supreme gives your car speedy pickup in your stop-and-go traffic, and it assures full power for rugged hill climbing. Best of all, you're never far from Chevron Supreme gasoline. Throughout the West, you can get it at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations, where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Well, here we are. Now, out you go, Brooksy. You know what you're supposed to do. Yes, George. But you don't know what you're asking of me. That Rene woman brings out the fishwife in me. Anything can happen. Well, go on now, Angel. That gal in there didn't tell us half what she really knows. Maybe because you do rub her the wrong way, we can find out some more. Well, okay. So good to me. Well, now for Rene. I wish I'd let my fingernails grow. Stay tuned for the Jack Benny Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Jack Benny, Rochester, and all the gang. This episode is called Hounds of the Baskervilles. J-E-L-L-O. The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with From Alpha to Omega. <laughs> so rare as a day in June, cried the poet. Well, I know something. That's a June bride who can turn out a perfect home-cooked meal. But don't be downhearted. That new husband of yours will forgive you for an awful lot if you bring on a swell-looking, swell-tasting dessert. And that means Jell-O. There's no fuss or trouble with Jell-O. There's nothing to go wrong. Dissolves instantly in hot water, sets quickly in icebox or refrigerator, and comes out in a shimmering mold of beauty that looks and tastes like a million dollars. There are six delicious flavors, and every one is extra rich. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. They're simply swell, served just as is, 
or you can garnish them with any fruits in season. And Jell-O is one of the thriftiest desserts you can serve. Every husband appreciates that. So skip around to your grocer tomorrow and look for those big red letters on the box that spell Jell-O. From Alpha to Omega, played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, greetings from Hollywood. In just a moment, you will hear from your Hollywood reporter with his frank comments about motion pictures, radio, and their glamorous stars. A man who will startle you with his sensational scoop. And here he is, folks, that human dynamo, Jimmy Fiddler Benny. Hello again, this is Jimmy Benny, the Fiddler, coming to you from Hollywood. Hollywood, that small body of land entirely surrounded by racetracks. And here we go with our news bulletin. Exclusive. Now that Robert Taylor and Barbara Stanwyck are married, and Tyrone Power has recently wed Annabella, who will be next? Gossips have it that May Robeson and Mickey Rooney have been seen dining and dancing together in the late night spot. <laughs> but take it from me, they are just good friends. Attention, New York reporters. Eddie Cantor, comedian noted for his five daughters, is in your town celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary. On their way back to California, Eddie and his wife Ida will spend a week at Sun Valley. Watch this column. Watch this column for further development. Back to Hollywood. Movie star seen recently in Ruby Pooh's Chinese restaurant ordering their specialty, Egg Pooh Young, were Robert Young, Loretta Young, Roland Young, Victor Young, Clara Kimball Young, and Young Dr. Kildare. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, a special scoop. Hello, Jack. What are you doing? Quiet, Mary. More Hollywood news. Miss Ginger Fizdale, new child singing discovery, who is destined to become a great star, will be professionally known as Jim Fizz. She is three years old, and in her first screen effort, Bobby Green will play the part of her father. <laughs> More Hollywood news. Oh, Jack, let me do one. All right. I have it on good authority that the Paramount Studio is planning to build Jack Benny's next picture around him. That's right. As soon as he is completely hidden, they will release it. <laughs> Quit making things up and give me that. Intimate note for my little black book. Observed recently coming out of Maisie's fashionable beauty parlor in Beverly Hills were Joan Bennett, Myrna Loy, Carol Lombard, Hedy Lamar, and Phil Harris. <laughs> uh, when confronted, the popular band leader claimed he made a mistake. The sign said Maisie's Salon, but he thought it was Muzzy's Saloon. <laughs> And now a word from our sponsor. Take it, Don. Jello. Take it, Jack. Good. Open letter. <laughs> Open letter to Fred Allen. Dear Mr. Allen, I understand you are going off the air shortly for a well-deserved vacation in the rock-bound state of Maine. You've earned that vacation, Fred, and you need it. Boy, how you need it. 
But before you go, Fred, may I give you this friendly bit of advice? Instead of coming back on the air next fall, get out those Indian clubs and that green wig and go back to Vaudeville. <laughs> Believe me, I'm speaking as your affectionate friend, Jimmy Fiddler Benny. Previews of the new pictures. The first picture I recommend tonight is the Jones family in a gopher hole. <laughs> this is a two-bell picture. Now this three-bell picture <laughs> is good, clean fun for the entire family. The next picture I recommend is Charlie Chan in St. Paul or Mr. Moto in Minneapolis. <laughs> this mystery gets three and a half bells. The plot is fascinating. It is about three smart girls who grow up in Dodge City. And the high spot of the picture is when the Cisco kid falls off of Wuthering Heights. Oh, don't miss it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to recommend wholeheartedly, with no reservations whatsoever, Paramount's latest comedy triumph, Man About Town starring Jack Benny. I give this picture... Don't miss this picture, folks. It has plenty on the bell. Take it, Mr. Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, do you remember that old proverb, a rolling stone gathers no moss? Well, if you want a tempting and delicious dessert, you must get jello. Oh, uncle. So look for the big red letters on the box. Thank you, Don. Well, it's about all the news for tonight, folks. But before I go, I want to leave you with this thought. When you reach the top of the ladder of success, don't forget your friends. And your relatives won't forget you. <laughs> so until we meet again... This is Jimmy Fiddler Benny saying goodnight to you, and I do mean yahoo! Take it, maestro. number you've done this season. You know, there wasn't one sour note in the whole thing. Not one. Some shock, eh, kid? You said it. Hey, Phil, how'd you like my little takeoff on Jimmy Fiddler? I had some pretty hot news there, didn't I? Hot news? Nothing. I haven't been to Macy's Beauty Parlor in two weeks. You haven't? Why, Phil Harris, I saw you in there last Thursday getting a permanent wave. 
Oh, then I was right about that little item. Imagine a man sitting in a beauty parlor having his hair curled. Why don't you send yours over sometime? <laughs> Never mind my hair. Say, where's Kenny? I've got another big scoop that I've been saving, and I want everybody to hear it. Hey, Kenny. Here I am, Jack. I was up on the roof taking a sun bath. Oh, up on the roof, eh? Gee, I got a headache. Well, naturally, you stayed out in the hot sun too long. Well, it wasn't that. I fell down the elevator shaft. Oh, my goodness. Why don't you look where you're going? Gee whiz, Jack, it was the funniest feeling. What do you mean? I stepped in and said, main floor, please, and I got it right in the kisser. <laughs> well, for heaven's sake, watch yourself from now on. What's all the news you're going to tell us, Jack? Oh, yes. Now, listen carefully, everybody, and this is on the level. You know, two weeks from tonight, we do our last broadcast of the season. And we're going to do it from Waukegan, Illinois. Waukegan? Oh, yes, sir. And the same night, we're going to have the world premiere of uh, Man About Town. No kidding, Jack. Are we really going to walk in? Yep. Two weeks from the day, we'll be in my little hometown. Boy, what a hot time we'll have. We'll have to have it before 9 p.m. <laughs> Bill, they've abolished that curfew. There's plenty of excitement there now. Well, I was there last summer, and they rang that bell right on the stroke of nine. That wasn't a bell. They were kicking the gong around. <laughs> They'll show you a thing or two, brother. Well, I'm wide open, sister. Don't worry, Phil. You'll be able to keep those bags under your eyes. You won't lose them. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Me, if we're going to Waukegan, i got to get some new clothes. And now, gen ladies and gentlemen, as I announced last Me week... Me too. As I announced last week, tonight, the Benny Two Tickets for the Price of One Players will present their version of the... I need a new evening gown. Will present their version of Daryl F. Zanuck... I need some white flannels. Of Daryl F. Zanuck's thrilling white flannels. Or murder mystery. <laughs> Will you kids be quiet? You got a whole week to get ready. Uh, their murder mystery, The Hound of the Baskerville. Now, in this gripping drama... I need a new grip, too. Kenny. <laughs> I will play the part of Sherlock Holmes, the internationally famous detective. Kenny Baker will be my assistant, Dr. Watson. And Andy Devine... Where's Andy? Here I am, Bob! Gee. Came in like China across the bay, didn't <laughs> <laughs> now, Andy, you'll play the part of the vicious, snarling, murderous hound. Do you think you can do it? <laughs> Perfect. Now, this play will go on. Say, Buck, am I going to walk kicking with you? You certainly are, Andy. Then I better put my shoes on. Yeah, you'll never regret it. You'll have the time of your life. Now, our play will go on immediately after. I'll take it. Hello? Who? Plainfield, New Jersey? That must be for you, Mary. Oh, gee, I'll bet it's Mama. Yes, Tugboat Annie is on the wire. <laughs> hello? Oh, hello, Mama. Gee, this is a surprise. What? You've been listening to the program? How is it? Oh, it does? <laughs> She should be so critical. What, Mama? She was thrown out of the Floridora Sextet for wearing red bloomers. <laughs> yes, we're going to Waukegan. It's Jack's hometown. Yes, he was born there, right above a clothing store. <laughs> oh, Mama, are you corny? What'd she say? Susan Cluck. Hmm. It's about her speed. 
Well, look, Mama, I got a great idea. Why don't you and Papa come to visit me in Waukegan? We can spend a few days together and you can see Jack's new picture. Oh, I don't know. I'll find out. Say, Jack, I think... No, certainly not. No, Mama, no free dishes. <laughs> Tell her to stay home, Mary. I'll be busy enough that week. Well, I gotta hang up now. I'll write you later. Goodbye, Mama. Goodbye. Oh, Jack, hasn't Mama got the most wonderful sense of humor? Oh, she's a gem. <laughs> now, where were we? Oh, yes, our play, The Hound of the Baskervilles, will go on right after Kenny Baker's song. Go ahead, Kenny. Okay. Say, Jack. What? You know any dames in Waukegan? I certainly do. Are they good looking? They certainly are. Can you get me a date with one of them? You certainly can't. <laughs> Don't worry now, Kenny. You'll be all fixed up. Go ahead with your song. <laughs> all right, Andy. Excuse me, fellas. I got to take Andy out for a walk. <laughs> And the angels sing The angels sing The sweetest song I ever heard You speak And the angels sing Or am I breathing music Into every word Suddenly the setting is strange I can see water and moonlight beaming Silver waves that break on some undiscovered shore Suddenly I see it all change Long winter nights with the candles gleaming Through it all your face that I adore You smile and the angels sing And though it's just a gentle murmur at the start We kiss And the angels sing And leave their music ringing in And the Angels Sing, sung by Kenny Baker, the little devil of the Jello program. And now for our feature attraction, that thrilling detective mystery, The Hound of the Baskervilles, or The Mayor of Van Nuys. <laughs> hey, Andy, I think you ought to try that howl just once more. It's very important to our plot. Okay. <laughs> very good. Now, the opening scene of our play is the residence of Sherlock Holmes in London, England. As the curtain rises, we find Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson in the library. Curtain. Music. Excuse me, Watson. Hello? Sherlock Holmes on this end. Are you on your end? <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
more trickle talk. What? Your son has run away with a chorus girl? Well, why worry about it? Oh, you saw her first. <laughs> Very well, I'll get on the trail immediately. Toodaloo. The son is always up to something. Dr. Watson. Watson, what are you doing there? I'm looking over the mail. Anything important? I'll say you got a postcard from Paris. Well, put down that magnifying glass and give it to me. <laughs> okay. I say, this is from Kiki, the little dancer I met at the Follies de Jure. She says, Dear Sherlock, Qu'est-ce qui say, voulez-vous, Benny Eldic Trois, Trace Show. What does that mean? Long time, no see. <laughs> I think I'll run over to Paris and visit her. Well, what about your work here, Sherlock? After all, you're a detective. Well, I got a Cherche La Femme, don't I? <laughs> I tell you, Watson is so dull around here. The cases I've been getting lately are ridiculously simple. They're not baffling enough. There's no excitement. What was that? It's 12.30. Oh, yes. You know, Watson, if there isn't... If there isn't any more action around here, I'm going to take a vacation. Hmm, there's someone at the door. I wonder who it is, Sherlock. It's a young lady, about 23 years of age, with beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes... And a divine figure. Why, that's amazing. How do you know? Well, to tell the truth, Watson, I'm just hoping. Come in. Hello. Oh, Chuck, it's Mary. Quiet, Watson. <laughs> How do you do, madam? How do you do? Oh, Mr. Holmes, you must help me. You must, you must. What seems to be the trouble, young lady? Well, you see, Mr. Holmes, I'm engaged to Philip Baskerville, the son of Sir Hugo Baskerville. Oh, Sir Hugo. I know him well. He's quite a lively old boy. Well, he's calmed down considerably. He was murdered last night. <laughs> well, that'll do it every time. <laughs> Are you sure Sir Hugo is dead? I'm positive. How do you know? He doesn't giggle when we dust him off. <laughs> then he is dead. Uh, continue, my dear. Well, according to the legend of the Baskervilles, Sir Philip, my fiancé, is the next one marked for death. Amazing. The first Baskerville was killed. So was the second. Then the third and the fourth. I see. And Sir Philip is next? Yes. When they get him, it's bingo. <laughs> hmm, it's a very interesting case. Now tell me, Miss... Uh, Lady Barrow. Lady Barrow. Is there any clue to these murders? Only one. Before each death, we always hear the howling of a dog on the lonely moor outside the castle. Oh, it's ghastly. Oh, a dog, eh? Then we have a clue already. Lady Barrow, I'll be glad to take the case. My fee, of course, will be $1,000. You won't get it, of course. Of course. Make a note of that, Watson. Okay. No sale. <laughs> uh, you may go now, Lady Barrow. Dr. Watson and I will follow immediately. Thank you. Oh, tell me. I've never been to Baskerville Castle. How will I find it? Very drafty. Goodbye. Well, at last, Watson, we've got a case worthy of my merit. Let's hurry. We haven't a moment to lose. Scene two, three hours later, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson have just crossed the dark and desolate moor and are approaching Baskerville Castle. What a night. Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson, is that you behind me? Yeah. Stick close to me. Gee, I can't see a thing. It sure is dark tonight. I'll say it's dark. I just saw an owl with a lantern. 
Look, Watson, do you see that light up ahead? Yes, that must be the place. I'm positive. Let's hurry. This is the castle, all right. Look at that coat of arms on the door. It says Baskerville Hall. In hope signum, multum paro. What does that mean? No cover charge. <laughs> if this is the Wilshire Bowl, I'll kill myself. <laughs> Ring the bell, Watson. Okay. Ooh, cheerful little spot. How do you do, gentlemen? Is this uh, Baskerville Castle? Yes. Whom shall I say is calling? <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. <laughs> Marty. Gee, I wish I could do that. You fall down that elevator shaft a couple of more times and you'll be all set. <laughs> Where's Lady Barrow? Follow me, gentlemen. Lady Barrow, the detectives have arrived. Thank you, Butch. You may go. I'll go. I'll go, but watch your step, Mr. Holmes. You may be next. Now, Lady Barrow. Wait a minute. I'm not through. <laughs> Silly boy. Now, Lady Barrow, I want to meet your guests and question them. Very well. First, I'd like you to meet my fiancé, Sir Philip Baskerville. Hello, Sir Philip. How do you do, Mr. Holmes? Weren't you once the house detective at the Savoy Ritz? No, that was my brother that used to throw you up. <laughs> He's not there anymore. Oh, goody. And this is Dr. Wilson, our family physician. Good evening, Doctor. Can you give us any information about the late Sir Hugo Baskerville? Yes, he was very fond of Jell-O. Hmm. Uh, make a note of it, Watson. Okay, commercial taken care of. <laughs> Very good. And now, Mr. Holmes, may I present Madame Zaraki, the famous psychic. She has supernatural power. Ah, good evening, Madame Zaraki. Good evening, Mr. Holmes. And that's Sir Hugo lying across the table. Oh, the victim. Well, that's the first time I ever saw Sir Hugo on top of the table. <laughs> Well, now that I've met everyone, I've got to get to work and solve this case. Hmm, the victim looks as though he met a violent death. Look at the way his clothes are torn. And those long scratches on his throat. I didn't do it. I didn't do it, I tell you. I didn't do it. I swear it wasn't me. We know it wasn't you, Dr. Watson. Don't be too sure. <laughs> Quiet. Sir Philip. Yes, Mr. Holmes? You inherit a lot of money by Sir Hugo's death. Tell me. Where were you at the time of the murder? You can't pin this on me. I've got an ironclad alibi. Oh, you have, eh? Well, just answer my question. Where were you at the time of the murder? In Maisie's beauty parlor, and you know it. <laughs> well, somebody committed this crime, and I'm going to find out who it is. Maybe I can help you, Mr. Holmes. Help me? How, Madam Director? Sir Hugo himself will tell me. But Sir Hugo is dead. I know. I will talk to his spirit in the great beyond. Why, that's impossible. Oh, she's very good. She got South America this morning. <laughs> Why, this is ridiculous. But we'll try it. Now, will you all please sit around in a circle and hold hands? Oh, all right. Come on, everybody. Oh, oh I think we'll hold hands. Now, turn off the light. Quiet, everybody. Now, concentrate. Concentrate on Sir Hugo. Sir Hugo, 
Sir Hugo, are you there? Hmm, this is silly. Sir Hugo, if you are there, answer me. Bosh, it'll never work. Yeah, bosh. Quiet, Watson. Sir Hugo, we are calling you. If you hear my voice, answer me. Answer me. Oh, I hear you, madam. What? Do you hear that, Watson? Yeah. Madam Tarecki, can I speak to him now? Yes, but don't lose the contact. I won't. Sir Hugo, do you hear me? Yeah. Then tell me, how were you killed? Well, I was out walking on the moor last night. Yes. Just as I got to the garden wall, I saw a huge fibrous needle across me. All of a sudden, I panicked for it. He grabbed me by the driver's seat across me. I couldn't give myself any more that fire. Oh. But that didn't kill me. It should have. Why? But Sir Hugo, if that didn't kill you, what did? Well, I picked myself up. And ran toward the house. Uh-huh. Just as I got there, there was a huge organ for the And he finished his practice all of it. You know that trumpet? Yes. Well, the whole time it's before it's seen And there I am on the table. <laughs> but, sir, Hugo, you still haven't told us. Who committed this crime? Who murdered you? Very well. I was killed by... Put in a nickel, please, for five more minutes. Get off the line, operator. <laughs> Continue, sir, Hugo. Your murder must be avenged. I was killed by... Stop! Stop! I can't stand it any longer. I confess I did it. I did it. I killed him. Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 I knew it all the time. I don't know why I did it. I must have been mad, crazy, delirious. Slap <laughs> the handcuffs on him, Watson. The case of the Baskervilles is solved. Hey, Sherlock, what about me? Oh, my goodness, I forgot all about the hound. I'm sorry, Andy. Play, Phil. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Lights Out, followed by Burns and Allen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Zneimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.